0: a prayer with me before we look at the scripture together this morning. Jesus, we thank you for being present with us, and we particularly pray for the school. been praying for this school for 13 years, and you give us the privilege of, of being here, um, not just on Sundays, God, but being part of the work that you do here during the week. And so we pray for the students, we pray for the teachers, the administrators, that your shalom peace would be here in this school, um, that the work of educating these kids and helping them to feel the value that you've placed on them Uh, would be present uh, tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday, throughout the rest of the year. We do pray for those who work here, God, that you would encourage them about the importance of their work as they come in, even tomorrow. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, everybody, true confession beginning. I'm uh, what I call a box checker. You know what I mean by box checker? I love to make a list. You don't have to raise your hand if you don't want to. Anybody else box checker people out there? Yeah, there's some of you. I know you. Every week I make a list on Monday, I make a list of the things that I need to do that week and I faithfully check them off as I'm getting them done. Sometimes I even write things down after I've done them just to check off the box. That's when you know you have a sickness. <laughs> that achiever personality, those of you highly organized people, we just love, we just love it. We feel great checking the box off. But what I've learned about the box checking way of life is that it's not kind it's not gracious there are always seem to be more items on the list than boxes checked and if you don't check off the boxes the item just kind of stares at you like you haven't done me yet and the list can just make you feel exhausted and kind of like you can't keep up with the number of boxes and so sometimes I just wish I wasn't a box checker and I didn't care if they were checked or not You also can't create a box, I don't think. You can't create a box on your list for the most important things in life. You can't create a box for things like love your partner today, right? At least not if you think they're ever going to see the list. You don't want them to see that on your list. I don't advise you tomorrow, for instance, to have a box that says give Hallmark card to my spouse or my significant other or my friend. It's not something you put on a to-do list, right? You can't put a box that you can check that says, love my kids today, or be a good friend, or engage with somebody I don't know yet. I mean, you could, but it'd be weird. Those things aren't on my list, and the list is way more superficial than that. It's a list of things that I've decided are important that I need to get done, but doing that list and checking those boxes does not make me a person who loves other people well. At least that's been my experience. It does make me a person who checks boxes well and gets tasks done. That's kind of the point of the list. So I don't know if you're a box checker person or not, but in today's biblical passage in the text that we're looking at today, Jesus is critiquing the religious box checkers. He's criticizing these religious leaders who have taught other people that relationship with God is about doing all the right things and checking all the right boxes. And Jesus criticizes these leaders because they are teaching people to be religious box checkers rather than people who know god and love god and become humans who know how to love their neighbor and even their enemies because that's the kind of people they are i know this is a challenge for us in the church that we're still facing today for many of us religion or spirituality is still mostly about box checking sometimes we go to worship or we give or we serve or we pray or we read our bible just because we want to have the satisfaction of saying that we did it that we checked the religious box. But checking those boxes doesn't necessarily help us to become people who instinctually know how to follow the most important commandments that Jesus teaches us. Things like loving God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Loving our neighbor as ourself. And in the passage today, even loving the people who are our enemies and praying for them. And so we're going to take a look at this one section of Matthew chapter 5 today, which is a part of what is called Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, that Pastor Stephanie introduced to us last Sunday. And in her introduction, she talked about the first part of chapter, or chapter 5 in Matthew, where Jesus begins with this kind of poetic uh, reversal of roles, if you will. And, and Pastor Steph talked about how Jesus took a lot of the categories of people that folks thought were not important, were not valuable, and actually said, these are people who God blesses. Blessed are those who are in mourning. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God. Because they are seen by God and they are loved by God. And so he begins this whole Sermon on the Mount by teaching that many people who folks think weren't important are actually very high on God's list. And this reversal is what we should expect from the rest of his teaching in this sermon. He actually goes on right after that part part to talk about all of us as people of God as both salt and light in the world. And Pastor Gary, who's our guest next week, is going to unpack that passage for you when he comes. And so we're going to look at verses 17 to 21 primarily today and then a little bit of the rest of the chapter where Jesus is uh, talking about something that's very important to Matthew, the author of this gospel. And that is the role of the law, capital L, law. In the ministry and teaching of Jesus. One of Matthew's goals in his gospel is to show us how Jesus is the fulfillment of the story that we're told in what we call the Old Testament, the law and the prophets, sometimes it's referred to in Scripture. Matthew really wants us to understand that the ministry and person of Jesus is a continuation of the story that we get in, again, what we call the Old Testament. And so Jesus is teaching that himself in verses 17 to 21. So let me read it. You can hear how Jesus talks about it. Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So I want to unpack this a little bit with you. This morning. First of all, I want to say when you hear the word law or law and prophets in that text, I just want you to think of the whole story of God in the Old Testament, the story of God's relationship to creation and to Israel throughout that. Don't think just of like the Old Testament um, Ten Commandments or something like that. Think about the whole story and covenant relationship with God. And so, Jesus is making it very clear here that he's not trying to do away with that story, with that law, with that relationship that's described in the Old Testament, but that he's trying to show people how to actually live it out. And so here's the big idea I have for you out of this text this morning for us. It's simply that following Jesus is not about checking boxes. It is about becoming a person who naturally and instinctually follows Jesus' commands to love God, love your neighbor, and even to love your enemy. So we're going to talk about that some more here. Jesus says he has not come to replace the law, but to fulfill it and complete it. It's important to remember that Jesus loved the law. When he's 12 years old, he's in the temple discussing, arguing, teaching with rabbis two and three times his age about the meaning and importance of the law. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the prophets, the Psalms, those were part of his upbringing. He would have memorized large sections of the Torah, if not the whole thing. So it was was ingrained in him. It was how he understood relating to God the Father and encouraged other people to do so as well. When I was in college, I remember reading this book for the first time called The Bible That Jesus Read by Philip Yancey. And it's was kind of the first time I realized, oh, there was no Gospels for Jesus, right? There's no New Testament letters from Paul for Jesus. There's just what we call the Old Testament. So that when Jesus is tempted by the devil in the desert, as Pastor Ashish taught us about a number of weeks ago, he's quoting Deuteronomy in order to defend himself against the temptations. When he's dying on the cross, he's quoting the Psalms. When he's praying, I imagine, when he was going to sleep, he's quoting the Shema and praying Uh, prayers that all the rest of the Jewish people would pray from the law. And so Jesus understands himself, and we need to understand this as well, that he's playing this role in the midst of what we teach our kids is the big God story. The story that begins all the way back with God creating the heavens and the earth, God creating animals, God creating us, resting, and then developing this relationship that tries to address the sinfulness that comes when we decide that maybe we should be God instead of God, and there's a rift in our relationship with God. And then God works for centuries to build this covenant relationship, right? This this deep connection that allows us to live together with the God who created us. And sometimes that's going great, and sometimes it's going poorly, and it kind of goes up and down and up and down across the Old Testament. And Jesus is stepping into that story. Jesus is not starting a new religion in the first century. Jesus is not providing some new spirituality that's never been conceived of before. He's coming to fulfill what's already been talked about by many people who have come before him as the Messiah, the Savior, the one who has promised to fulfill all the promises of God and the prophecies that have been said about what God will do for God's people. And more than that, Jesus is also positioning himself here as the only one who can give us the real interpretation of that law. In fact, part of his teaching in the Sermon on the Mount is to say there's a whole bunch of teachers of the law who have been teaching you the wrong thing. They've been telling you to follow these laws and that law and ignore these other things and they're wrong. And I'm going to correct their teaching and I'm going to tell you the right way to understand the real spirit behind what you understand to be the law. And so we need to read the Old Testament. I know for many of us, sometimes reading the Old Testament is hard. Parts of the Old Testament is hard. But I want to encourage you. Whenever you're reading the Old Testament, you have to always think of Jesus as the glasses or the lenses through which you are reading the Old Testament. That's what he's saying here. He's saying, I'm the fulfillment of everything that came before. So when you read about the ways in which things were happening in the Old Testament, you have to interpret them in light of how we see God revealed in Jesus. That means Jesus' life, Jesus' death, Jesus' resurrection, Jesus' nonviolence, Jesus' sacrifice for enemies, and all the other teachings. You have to read the whole Old Testament law through the lens of Jesus. Jesus is saying here, uh, not only is he fulfilling the law, but that no one else can decide which parts of the law maybe should be gotten rid of and others should be focused on. He says, not even the least stroke of a pen will disappear until everything is complete or fulfilled. He wants to make it clear that nobody else has authority to decide which is in and which is out or what part is the most important other than him. And the religious leaders of Jesus' day, as some of you know, were really focused on what are called purity laws. So they really wanted to make everyone around them know that they were clean, that they You know, washed their hands at the appropriate times, that they avoided contact with dead bodies, that they didn't walk too far on the Sabbath, that they were always holy and clean and ready to be in God's presence. And then they were super judgmental about all the people around them who weren't clean for whatever reason. And Jesus is critiquing this directly because he says you're focusing all your energy on these purity laws while ignoring all the things in the law that say you're supposed to be concerned about the poor. You're supposed to be welcoming the foreigner. You're supposed to be bringing healing and wholeness to people who haven't experienced healing and wholeness. You're not talking about that at all. You're only focused on these purity laws which make you look the holiest person in the room. When I think about this, uh, I think, man, we're still struggling with this same problem in the church, aren't we? We have whole kinds of churches that only focus on one particular part of Jesus' teaching, or one particular view of salvation, or one particular view of justice. And then everybody else who doesn't think the way that they do on that particular thing is anathema to them, right? Reject it. And instead, Jesus is saying, no, nobody has the authority to decide which part of this is more important than the other. I'm the only one who gets to decide that. I remember a friend of mine years ago who was mentoring me and confronted me, and she said to me, she said, I, I'm listening to you and what you're talking about in your life, and I realize it seems like you kind of work every day of the week. Is that right? I go, yeah, I guess so. And she's like, well, when did you get so comfortable completely rejecting God's rule that you're supposed to rest at least one day a week? How did you get so comfortable with breaking the, the Sabbath? And I had no good response for her. I said, I don't know. It just seemed like there were a lot of important boxes to check, so I kept checking the boxes. But she was challenging me and saying, like, you don't get to decide that. You don't get to decide that for some reason you don't need to rest and everybody else does. You need to listen to how Jesus instructed people on that, and it was a good challenge for me. And so for us, Jesus is teaching us a very particular way of relating to God. And this is an important point that I want to get across this morning. Jesus is teaching a particular way to be fully human. Jesus is teaching a particular way to love the people around you. Jesus is not saying to us, do whatever you want. You define what you think is good or not good. Or you decide for yourselves what is most important in life. That's not what he's saying at all. In fact, he's inviting us to accept his interpretation of what a good life looks like. He's inviting us to accept his interpretation of who you are and who I am. He's inviting us to accept his interpretation of what it means to love God and what it means to love your neighbor and what it means to love your enemies. And he's going so far as to correct misinterpretations of the people who were living in the time when he was preaching. We live in this same time when it's commonly assumed that every one of us gets to determine what is true for us about God, about who we are, and what a meaningful life is really about. That's an assumption that most of us live with. And I know this isn't going to be the most most popular part of this sermon, but I have to say this clearly. We have some new laws in the 21st century that many of us are living by and being influenced by that I think Jesus would say almost the exact opposite of. And they sound like this. Things like, live your best life now. Now follow your heart, you do you, just do it, speak your truth, be true to yourself, do what makes you happy. We have all these little mantras that float around in our cultural context, don't we? And I want to encourage you this morning that at minimum, please compare them against the way that Jesus talks about what the good life really is, what a meaningful life really is. Because most of the cultural context that I'm in seem to assume, without saying it at all, that I'm the most important authority in my life. That the self is the one who determines what's true and what's not true. And in history, everybody, that makes for huge messes, terrible misdirections when humans decide that we're the ones who decide what's true and what's not. That's what happened in the garden in Genesis chapter 3. And we're in the same sort of time. And I want to just be clear. Jesus is gracefully, lovingly, forgivingly inviting us to accept his definition of reality. His definition of the world. His definition of who you are. His definition of what the best life is. And his definition of what's most important both now and for eternity. Amen? We are not starting from scratch in the 21st century creating our own new religion. You do not have to create your best life. God has created it for you. Jesus is saying, I'm teaching you the right way to understand who God is, who you are, what this good life looks like. And if you want to accept my teaching and follow me, you are welcome to. And you also have the freedom to reject my teaching and go your own way, just like every human has from the beginning of our created time. But you can't change my teaching to make it fit whatever you want it to sound like. He's describing this particular way of life, a particular way of being in relationship with God, a particular way of fighting against evil and fighting for justice. Jesus is describing a way of interpreting the law that God's already given to us. It's not about rule following. It's not about box checking. It's about character. It's about a way of being. It's about becoming a person of a particular kind of character and becoming communities of a particular kind of character that reflects to the world what this God of the universe is actually like. A friend of mine has said many times over, the most important thing in life is not what you're accomplishing, it's who you're becoming. Because who you're becoming now is who you become forever and ever. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is trying to teach us how to become the people that God created us to be. And so he says, if your righteousness does not exceed the righteousness of these Pharisees and the teachers of the law, then you don't get to enter the kingdom of heaven. What does he mean by that? I think he's saying you can't box check your way into the kingdom of heaven. You can't follow the purity laws successfully enough to enter the kingdom of heaven. The Pharisees taught people to focus on these certain religious rules and ignore others. And they created this kind of who's in and who's out kind of community. The people who follow the rules are in. The people who don't follow the rules are out. And this is not, capital N-O-T, what God wants the church to be like. In uh, his commentary on the Gospel of Matthew, Matt Woodley says, the Pharisees' version of righteousness limited God's true intent Behind the Old Testament, which was to include and welcome anybody who wanted to live the life that God was inviting them to live. And so the Pharisees treated the law like a fence, and lots of churches still treat their doctrinal beliefs like a fence. They keep some people in and some people out. And I think for Jesus, the law and the prophets are way more like a well in the middle of a community with water providing water for anyone who wants to come to that well and Jesus makes it very clear that any anybody everybody is welcome to come to this well and to take a drink he calls himself the living water sometimes like anybody is welcome doesn't matter your background doesn't matter what you've done in your life everyone is welcome to come and take a drink from this well and if you want to enter the kingdom you can but To enter the kingdom of God means taking a drink from a particular well. It doesn't mean defining life and goodness and reality for yourself. And so if you make religion or spirituality about checking boxes and about fencing people out, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You won't experience the kingdom of heaven the way that God intends it. And if you accept the grace offered to you through Jesus Christ and you accept Jesus' teaching on who God is and who you are and what a meaningful life is like, then you become a person of character who knows how to love God and love your neighbor and love your enemies. And that's what the world is expecting the church to be. People who know how to do that. Jesus goes on in the rest of chapter 5 to give specific examples of how he's reinterpreting some things that they've heard taught And I don't have time to go through all of them, but I do encourage you to read them. I'll just highlight a couple real quickly. The first one is on murder. The the, um, Old Testament teaches very clearly, thou shalt not murder, right? Don't kill people. Now, that's not a box you want to have on your spiritual box checking list. Tuesday, didn't kill anybody. Great. And Jesus goes so far as to say in here, look, it's not enough to not murder people. If you become so angry with people in your life, that you call them raka or worthless, then you might as well have killed them because it's just the same thing in terms of your own spirit. And I know that in our own, even just last couple of years, that a lot of us have gotten to this place where we're so angry with the people around us who aren't like us, who think differently, that we call them worthless and much worse than that, Right? And so we have to look at Jesus' teaching here and say the law and the prophets are trying to point us to the grace and mercy of God that helps form us into people who don't get so wildly angry at other people that we call them worthless and write them off. Second example he gives is about adultery, where he says, you know, the law has said don't commit adultery, don't cheat on your partner. But I'm telling you, even if you look lustfully and long to be with somebody for a moment or for a lifetime, you've already committed adultery and cheated on the person that you've committed yourself to. And so what would it be like to become a person whose character helps prevent them from looking with lust on things that they're not supposed to lust after? And a final example is when Jesus says, you've heard love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I'm telling you to love your enemy and pray for them. And if they ask you for something, give twice what they ask you in order to demonstrate the love of God even for the people who hate you. Don't you think that in the present moment of the 21st century, if we as Christians found more opportunities to love people that we might consider enemies, that that might actually help the world to experience some healing? Jesus isn't setting a higher standard of perfection or performance. I want to be clear about that. He's not saying you have to be perfect in order to be accepted by God at all. He is saying here's what it means to become a complete person, a complete human, a complete church community by becoming people who hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God in our lives. As I thought about this, I, I realized I mean, I, I, this is what I want. I feel like I want to become a complete person. I want to be a complete husband, a complete father, a complete friend, a complete student, disciple, apprentice of Jesus. I want my life to be about pursuing that completeness. And I'm always messing it up every single day. And the grace of God and the good news of Jesus Christ is that every single day, Jesus extends his hand and lifts you up and says, okay, let's practice again today. I've already accomplished what needs to be accomplished for you to be forgiven, and every day is a chance to practice and practice and practice and practice until you become more and more like me. This is not about earning God's love but it is about accepting the challenge to continue to be formed to be more and more like Jesus over time. I know that God's grace is always going to give me another chance to learn to become the kind of person that God created me to be. Let me invite the band to come back up. Like many of you have been watching some Olympics over the last couple of weeks, whenever I watch the Olympics, regardless of what sport it is, I think about how much those athletes have given up to get there the amount of sacrifice, the time that they've put into preparing, just to get to this one moment. And sometimes it's just a brief moment, right? 10 seconds, 12 seconds, one second. I know that you can't, I don't think, walk out and grab a snowboard and just launch yourself 24 feet into the air off a half pipe. Can you? I mean, not without going to the hospital. You can't just put skates on and do a triple lutz or a quadruple LUTs or however many Lutzes they do, right? If you want to do anything like that, you have to practice for hours, days, months, years and train your body to respond to the circumstances. And that's what following Jesus and seeking the kingdom is really like. Daily practice. Every single day we begin by receiving the God, the grace that God has given to us. Forgiveness, unconditional love. And then we commit our day to practicing the way of Jesus. We listen to God's word. We talk to God about our struggles, about our circumstances, about our questions, and we look for opportunities to love God and love our neighbor and even love our enemies. And over time, this becomes second nature to us. We become people who are like this, It's not just about believing that Jesus died and rose again. It's about being formed as a person who becomes more loving in these ways over time. So that by the time you pass out of this life and into the next life, you've become a person who can't wait to enjoy the kingdom of heaven because you're already formed for that and ready to be made perfect. We become people who naturally follow Jesus' commands to love God, neighbor, and enemies because it's who we are. So one more time, here's the big idea for this sermon. Following Jesus is not about checking the right boxes. It's about becoming a person who naturally and instinctually follows Jesus' commands to love God, love neighbor, and love our enemies. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, I just pray today that no one will listen to this sermon and feel like your expectations of them are without, beyond their reach. Because so I know that's not what you're intending. But instead, you lovingly challenge us to become the people that you already know we are. That you challenge the church to be the kind of community that shows the same sort of love that you've showed to us to the world so other people can trust you and love you and believe you. So all of us, God, we come open-handed to receive your forgiveness and your mercy that we can't earn and you offer us freely. And we also accept the challenge of practicing every day to become more like you by following these commands and becoming people who love in the way that you love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.